0: Wow. You know, I could see some people, when it comes to Easter Sunday morning, and they might, might, you might find somebody saying, well, so what's the big deal? What's the big deal about Easter Sunday? And to, to some degree, they may be right about that, because we do, we do make an extra effort, don't we, on Easter Sunday? We make an extra effort. We're, we're on point Up here we're on point, out there you're on point, because it's Easter Sunday. And it occurred to me, that that, that's good, it it should be that way, we're celebrating a risen Jesus. That's what we're celebrating. On the other hand, what's the big deal? Because that's, every Sunday morning we celebrate a a risen Jesus, right? So I mean, my encouragement to myself, I'm not just speaking to myself right now, is next Sunday I need to come on point. I need to come with the same level of enthusiasm I come this morning, because I'm worshiping the same Jesus, amen? He's still alive next week, right? All right, well, we got that out of the way. So here's the deal. This morning, um, I, well, actually this week, as, as I was thinking about Easter Sunday morning uh, message and stuff, I listened to a couple sermons, read a couple things, and listened to a sermon by Tim Keller, who's one of my favorite guys to listen to. And in one of his sermons, he says, he says this, if, if you got a letter in the mail and it was telling you that uh, you had received a multi-million dollar gift from a long-lost relative that you were not aware of, you'd be skeptical. With all the scams going around, you'd be skeptical. You'd, you'd really be questioning that. But you check it out. You'd say, well, you know, if it, maybe, maybe there's somebody I don't know of. Maybe it could happen. And so when I think about the resurrection and we think about this, what we celebrate this day, there could be, and there are, trust me, I've read them this week, there are plenty of people that are very skeptical, very skeptical that this whole thing that we celebrate even happened. And so my encouragement to anybody that believes in it or even someone that's struggling with it check it out it's worth checking out because too much hinges on what we're talking about this is this is not just like hey well if it didn't happen it's no big deal this is pretty central to what we believe and so it's worth checking out i can assure you your long-lost relative did not leave you a million dollars So I suspect that you came this morning anticipating that we would say something regarding the resurrection and its importance in our life. And sure enough, that's what we are going to do. But here's how I would like you to approach this this morning. This is how I would like you to think. It's really not so important to know what Jeff believes about the resurrection of Jesus. It is more important that I know what I believe about the resurrection of Jesus. So it's not so important what Jeff believes... It's more important that you know what you, you yourself, believe about it. Because it, it's great that you can be confident that Jeff has some kind of foundation on that, but it, it's more important that you have an understanding about where you come down on this issue. So real quickly this morning, we've looked at John 20, and that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. So if, you're, if you would open your Bible to John 20, we are going to uh, look at that uh, a, a few times uh, this morning. And I'm just going to point out three quick things regarding the resurrection and, and try to unpack it a little bit from this particular uh, chapter in a way that I think is important. And the first thing I want us uh, to understand is the resurrection is real. Uh, the resurrection is obviously a foundational uh, miracle in, in our faith. We, we have to understand it. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 21 says this, Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. And 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that if the resurrection did not happen, that our faith is futile, that what we believe, we believe in vain. In fact, uh, in verse 17 of 1 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul says this, If he is not raised, our faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. So it's foundational to uh, what we believe. And so it's real. Jesus really died. He really died. There was no no mistake there. The the Romans were experts at execution. Uh, They knew that Jesus was dead. There's no question about that. The tomb was empty. When they went to look for him, they they knew where he was buried. That tomb was empty. There were witnesses, eyewitnesses, that saw Jesus after he had been crucified, after he had been resurrected. And a conspiracy among the disciples of Jesus In my opinion, it was highly unlikely that that could happen. The the resurrection is real. But in John chapter 20, I want us to land on a particular idea. And I I don't want to insult your intelligence this morning, but I'm not going to expect you to track necessarily through all this. I want you to get the the bigger picture here. But in John chapter 20, there's a word I want us to look at. And it's the word see or the word saw or the word seen. And in that, in this chapter, John uses three different words for this word see or saw. And I want us to understand, I don't expect you to remember the Greek words, but I want you to understand what they meant. The first word is blepo, and the word blepo means to to see, to observe. The second word that John uses in this chapter is the word theoreo, which means to gaze on for the purpose of Analyzing. We get our word theorize, we get our word theater. It's something that we look at carefully uh, with the under, uh, understanding that there's a bigger meaning or something I need to gather from what I'm viewing. And the third word that he uses is Harao, which has the meaning to see with the mind or to perceive with an inward spiritual perception. So I want us to look at the progression as we move through John chapter twenty, and we're going to see how this idea of the word "see" John uses it. I believe to help us understand what he's trying to show us. So track with me uh, through this if if you can. First, I want to look at Mary. Uh, Mary uh, appears first of all in um, later in the chapter. But we see in, well, actually, she's right at the beginning. Excuse me. Um, In verse 1, it says that Mary saw the stone had been removed. In that particular case, John's using the word blepo. In verse 12, it says that Mary saw two angels. In that case, John's using the word theoreo. She's seeing with uh, an understanding that there's something bigger happening here. In verse 14... It says that she saw Jesus but did not realize who it was, thought it was the gardener. Again, that word see is theoreo. And then in verse 18, when she goes back to her, uh, the other followers of Jesus, the disciples, she says, I have seen the Lord. She's using the word harao. I see and I understand with an inward spiritual understanding. The, the disciple John in verse 5 Says he did not enter the tomb but saw the strips of linen. He saw the strips of liniment, linen. He used, uh, John uses the word blepo. He saw, he observed. In verse 8, it says that John saw and believed using the word hara'o. You see what John, the, the author, is doing here. He's, there's a progression that happens. At first, I see, I observe. I understand. Secondly, I, I see, but I, I recognize that there's something bigger going on here. Peter, as an example, in verse 6 says, He went to the tomb, he saw the strips of linen. Theoreto. He saw the strips of linen. The body's not there, the strips of linen are there. Something's going on here, bigger. I, I need to understand what's going on here, bigger than just that I see this linen here. The body's gone. Did they take him? What happened to Jesus? And then later in the chapter, verse 20 onward, the disciples and then even the exchange that Jesus has with Thomas, it's exclusively the word horao, that they saw, they understood, they perceived in their spirit that this was real. The resurrection of Jesus was, is, real. And secondly, it was real and it was life-changing because it went from just something that I observed that I blepoed it and I theoraoed it. I analyzed it and tried to discern from the evidence. But it it became a life-changing event. You look in John chapter 20 at the the apostles and when, when they show up in verse 19, it says they're in a locked room. They're in a locked room. Why? They're fearful for their lives. They've executed the head of their movement. They know that they're probably next, so they've locked themselves up in a room, fearful. And then you look into, say, the book of Acts, and we talked about this just a few weeks ago, and you see two of these 12 guys and they are on fire for Jesus. They are standing up in front of those very same people saying, You can do whatever you want to us, but we cannot stop talking about this Jesus. There's been a change, a transformation that has happened in their life. The resurrection is transforming. Let me just suggest that you saw evidence of that just a few minutes ago in people's lives that were changed. Now, I don't know, Steve haycraft that well he and i are are brand new in our relationship with one another but i'll tell you what i can tell that's a life changed so when we think about seeing and observing and understanding the resurrection we have to understand it more than just a historical event that happened certainly it was that but if that's all that it is and that nothing ever transforms in my life, then, then I, have, I have maybe only gotten as far as Theoreo. And we need to make the next step. And that's the life-changing step. You know, for me, I, I would have been a lot like a lot of these kids. I accepted Jesus when I was in fourth grade. I was at camp. Wasn't at Sugar Pine, but I was at camp, and I made that decision. And a few weeks later, I got baptized, much like these kids just did. But you know, my life, to a degree, it, it changed. But I'll be real with you, uh, not really. I, I I kept going to church. I was involved in church. Uh, but my my junior year in in high school, I had a, a pretty profound encounter at camp again with Jesus, and I and I recognized that it couldn't continue to be, hey, I'm involved in church or I'm connected with God because my parents, it was kind of their thing. I realized at that point, at some point, I I had to make it mine. I had to own that. And so as an 11th grader, I made that commitment. It became my faith. And my life at that point did transform. And I started thinking differently and living differently. And my values were different, and my priorities were different. Uh, Did I still mess up? Absolutely, I did. But from that moment on, it became something that I owned. And it it occurred to me a couple weeks ago, I was at the high school uh, guys have a small group meeting on on Sunday evenings, and so I went to that, surprised them. They weren't too excited about that, I don't think. But um, (laughs) so they were talking about origin, the origin of the universe, and God created the heavens and the earth, and we we were kind of talking through that, and where does evolution fit into that, or does it fit in, or, you know, all those things. We are talking about all those things, and um, one one of the guys in the group said this, said, well, I believe that God created uh, the universe. And I said, man, that's great. Why do you believe that? He goes, well, I've always been taught that. And I thought, man, that's good. We got some parents and some grandparents doing some good work there. But I thought to myself, you know what, there's going to come a point where having always been taught that is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. That they're going to encounter somebody like I was reading this week. And, and trust me, there are plenty of people out there that are ready to cut up the New Testament and tell you exactly why it is not authoritative and exactly why the resurrection couldn't have happened. Okay, Not only it didn't happen, it could not have happened. And at that point, you, can you stand up and say, well, I've always been taught that it did. And I'm going to suggest that, that that's not going to cut it. So some of you, even as adults, might be thinking, you know what? That's kind of my defense right now. I've always been taught that, and that's about as far as it goes. And so we have to recognize that our understanding of our faith needs to go beyond blepo, that we see it. It has to go beyond theoreto that I analyze it and try to understand it. It's got to get to that horao where I own it and it becomes something that has fundamentally transformed and changed who I am. The resurrection is life-changing. And then lastly, the resurrection is personal. Each person has a very unique journey to their understanding of Jesus' resurrection. But we must make a decision. Our man Steve... He came to this realization as he trekked across the United States. Most of us have not done that. Okay, most of us have not done that. But just as unique as that is, you have a unique journey in your relationship with God. And man, we need to hear it. We need to understand it. We need to, to see and hear how you came to this understanding, this uh, uh, knowledge this life-changing knowledge of who Jesus is in your life. It's, it, it becomes very personal. You know, I'm not, I don't want to date myself. Some of you here are older than me. Some of you are younger than me. But I'm going to quote a, a lyric from a rock and roll song from 1980. It says, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Okay, that's from the great Christian rock band Rush, Getty Lee and Neil Pert. Um. So they are far from Christians, let me just say that. But let me just say that, isn't that exactly right? You can choose not to decide. You can say, you know what, I'll put that off. This idea of the resurrection, I don't need to decide that. That's still making a choice. You're still deciding, you know what, that's, that's not for me. Or that's not for me right now. There'll be a time in my life where that will be important, and then, then I'll come to terms with that. I want to suggest it's, this is too important for us to say, you know what, I'll wait on that. It's a, it's a very uh, personal thing. So let's look real quickly at two people that had encountered Jesus personally in this chapter. Mary's one of them. Mary's looking for Jesus that morning. She, wants, she goes to the tomb. She's looking for Jesus. Let, but let's be honest, she's not looking for a living Jesus, right? She's looking for a dead Jesus. As much as she loved him, as much as she had tried to follow him with her life and be committed to him, her picture and vision of Jesus was still quite small. She expected to find a dead Jesus. And she gets to the tomb and the, and, and the body's not there. So let's be honest. Mary would have never found Jesus if Jesus had not been looking for her. And sure enough, she has this encounter with Jesus. And eventually it gets to the point she thinks it's the gardener. What does Jesus say? Jesus eventually says, Mary. Mary. So it goes, it goes from being something that's theoretical to something life-changing and personal when Jesus calls her out by name. Now maybe that's true of you this morning. Maybe you're, you're, you've recognized that your particular path in life or the way that you're kind of choosing to do life, it's, it's working okay, or maybe you've recognized it's a complete disaster. And maybe you're recognizing that you're looking in the wrong place. And I want you to know that today, in the same way that Jesus calls Mary by name, he does the same for us. Let me take a quick side sidetrack with Mary real quick. Let's just understand something about Mary. She was not a pillar of the community. She wasn't. This is a woman that Jesus had encountered earlier in her life. And the Bible tells us that he had cast demons out of her. So she was not a person that people thought, oh, that's the, if Jesus wants to make this movement happen, here's the first person she should appear to, Mary. It's not to, that's not what they would have thought. Not to, The fact that she was not a pillar of the community and that she was a woman in that day and time was not the best strategy so to me, it's encouraging to know that Jesus is not bound by any of our cultural, culturally driven expectations, that it has to happen this way. Jesus is going to do it his way. He's going to do it in a way that is personal and that will transform your life. You are not beyond the reach of Jesus. He wants, he wants to meet you personally. The next the next person, and let me just finish with Mary. And so what does she do? After she has this encounter with Jesus, she goes straight to the disciples and says, with enthusiasm, I have seen the Lord. He is my Lord. It's, it's gone from being rabbi teacher to now he is, he is master. He is savior. There's a transformation in her thinking. She goes looking for a dead Jesus. She encounters a living Jesus, and it changes who she is. The next person, real quick, that has a personal encounter in this chapter is at the end of the chapter. It's Thomas. We're familiar with Thomas. We call Thomas what? Doubting Thomas. Because he's not there when Jesus shows up. Jesus appears in the room. The room was locked, by the way. Jesus shows up. And he meets the disciples. Everyone's there but Thomas. And they tell him later, hey, we've seen the Lord. They have the same encounter. It's personal. And Thomas says, listen, that's all great and everything, but unless I see his wounds, his feet and his hands, I'm not going to believe. He was skeptical. But Jesus comes to Thomas on his terms and meets him there. Some of us would probably find ourselves in the same boat. Hey, I want to see it. I want to have this profound encounter with Jesus on my own. Jesus met Thomas there. And Thomas's words in ch- chapter 20, verse 28, look at it. Verse 28 of chapter 20. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. So Thomas recognizes, and he's moved from Bleppo past the Areo to Horao. It's changing my life. The resurrection was and is the foundation of our hope. The hope that we have that this human life is not all that there is. We're not finished with just this life, that we have a hope for something that happens in eternity after we're here. The resurrection is the foundation of that. So we anticipate a resurrection in our own life similar to what we see in Jesus' life. So the resurrection is real, it's life-changing, and it's for you. So I just want to ask you this, these questions this morning as we close, and that's this. When you see the resurrection, how do you see it? Is it blepo? Is it, I see it, it's an event that happened, that's great. Do you see the resurrection as theoreo, that I, I see it and I realize that it requires some kind of response, and I'm analyzing, I'm contemplating what that, what that might be. Or when you see the resurrection, is it horao? I see it, and I believe. And it's a reality that has transformed my life, And that you would say, as we come, not just on Easter Sunday, but we come every Sunday and we, and we can say, I've seen the Lord, I've met the Lord, and it's changed my life. And that's the decision I want you to consider this morning. Would you pray with me? God, I am grateful uh, for the truth of the fact that Jesus is alive, he's living. That as we come and worship, as we come to celebrate, we celebrate a living Savior. That, that wants a relationship, wants to call me by name. God, we are so grateful that uh, you have chosen us. Even, even if we've got a path,